1: doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing.
2: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country dear, Sweet land of liberty of be our
1: As for the enemies of freedom,
0: This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France.
3: Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Appreciate you starting with us at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday. It's the 22nd morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And uh, we're ready to rock this morning. We've got just one guest, and believe it or not, it's not Peter Kersenow. Peter's uh, other duties and responsibilities have him um, uh, forced to make a schedule change, so we may not have Pete on at all this week. But you're going to be interested in the conversation we'll have at 1035 with uh, Elizabeth Marbach. Lizzie Marbach is the uh, former now communications director at Ohio Right to Life who is at the center of a storm involving Congressman Max Miller. We told you about it very briefly last Friday. It appears as though we are getting some answers. Tomorrow, Congressman Miller, I spoke to him off the air a um, couple of days back, and tomorrow he will come on with me to uh, discuss a host of things. We talked to Congressman Miller we try to, anyway, every other week, every other Wednesday on a semi-regular basis. We can kind of get an idea of what's going on, not just in D.C., but in his district as well. But um, we're going to address this issue with him tomorrow. Today, we have uh, Lizzie Miller, uh, or excuse me, Lizzie Marbach, rather, Elizabeth Marbach, the former comms director for Ohio Right to Life, to talk about. If you don't know the story, uh, Elizabeth Marbach uh, posted a tweet uh, on what used to be called Twitter, I guess, um, essentially, uh, quoting the Bible, quoting the Gospel, um, and her inherent belief that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. And, uh, it prompted a response from Congressman Miller, who has, uh, very, who has since, uh, apologized profusely for his response, which was kind of attacking, uh, of, uh, what Lizzie Marbach posted and potentially, according to some, uh, it was attacking of Christianity as a whole. Uh, that, of course, is the nature of the story. And like I said, uh, Lizzie Marbach was fired from uh, Ohio Right to Life shortly after that. And uh, some believed, myself included, that it was because of what happened with Congressman Miller. I've been assured by leadership at Ohio Right to Life that that was not the case, that things were moving in that, in that direction already for a variety of reasons. But we're going to talk about those reasons with Lizzie coming up at... Um, 1035 this morning because so that's the only guest we have and that might be good news because we have a lot of ground to cover a lot of important stories to talk about a lot of important audio to react to and i welcome you uh throughout the morning at 216-901-0945 or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. I will uh, certainly take your phone calls, uh, plenty of them this morning. Like I said, we are very, very light on the guest side of things. Before we get started with the top news of the morning, I want to hit you with the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Why don't you join me in that, huh? How about you stand, face your flag, wherever you might be, put your hand on your heart and join us for the pledge. If you're driving, just keep your hand on your heart. You don't have to uh, stand. It's really hard. I tried it once. Uh, if you are a believer... In uh, Joe Biden's version of uh, what caused the wildfire in on Maui, if you are a believer that wildfires and hurricanes and earthquakes are all man-made because they all seemed to happen at the same time in Hawaii and out in the Pacific and in Southern California, if you think that's all man-made and that you should have your taxes raised so that you can stop earthquakes and wildfires and hurricane winds, Well, then you are probably just a little bit too far gone for saving. If you uh, don't believe in that flag, don't feel compelled. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and that blue-haired failure of a soccer player. As for the rest of us... Okay, that's not quite working. Hold on a second. We don't have everything connected the way we should. Let's try that one more time.
0: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for
3: all. I want to start this morning with a few local stories um, and then branch out just a little bit. Um, If you've been, I know the people of Strongsville have been watching very closely. I know all of the parents in Strongsville schools have been watching very closely and people who have been acquaintances of the victims and of the 19-year-old killer, um, the murderer in a a car crash case that uh, came to a conclusion conclusion yesterday with a sentence of 15 years to life in prison. Uh, You're probably well aware. If you are not uh, in Strongsville and you are not well aware, let me just give you the quick uh, thumbnail sketch. Mackenzie Schirrilla had just turned 18 last July, so a little over a year ago. When she decided to floor her Toyota Camry uh, and slam it into a brick warehouse with her boyfriend, twenty-year-old Dominic Russo, and a friend, nineteen-year-old Davian Flanagan, in the car with her, um, she slammed into that brick warehouse. According to the um, verdict, intentionally, she she murdered the. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a It wasn't a Uh, A bad traffic accident. It wasn't even a drinking and driving type of situation. There may have been drugs involved, but it was determined that this was wholly intentional. It was murder. Wanting to kill her boyfriend while the other uh, young man in the car uh, was essentially collateral damage. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He happened to be friends with the wrong people because that's the only reason his life is gone. Now, yesterday, Judge Nancy Russo uh, decided that 15 years was enough, uh at least on the low end, when what prosecutors had asked for, Michael O'Malley had asked for, was for the sentences to run consecutively. Two 15-year sentences. Not one, two, which would mean the earliest she could get out on parole would be 30 years. Instead, Judge Russo, despite commenting on the gruesome, graphic nature of the murders and the extraordinary callous behavior of this killer afterwards, uh, still went light. And I don't know quite what to make of that. This uh, person in the story is, again, I don't want to give you the, get into too many details in the weeds about this, but uh, this, 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 this killer, Mackenzie Shirella, it's hard to think of a 19 year old and at the time an 18 year old who would do such a thing as a murderer, but this is a murderer. Um, had uh, apparently had a lot of problems had a lot of problems with her boyfriend. They had disagreements on this that or the other thing it 's not an uncommon thing quite obviously, but she was apparently held bent on killing him, not sure if there was a breakup or whatever and i 'm going to address something here that i uh, i haven 't heard enough people talk about in the media as I followed this case over the last you know several weeks and really the last few months. Um, some are saying, "Well, why would she try to kill him by slamming him into a, a into a building in a car that she was driving? Wouldn't that kill her too?" And the answer to that question, as I understand it, from talking to people who are somewhat close to the situation, is she didn't just drive at a hundred miles an hour. And that's what she did, by the way. She 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 floored it to a hundred miles an hour, um, slamming into that building that she intentionally turned the vehicle so that the right side of the vehicle would hit the corner of the building. That was the passenger side where the boyfriend was. So she was literally trying to basically slam the car into, him, or, uh, into the building where he was sitting while she would essentially take less of the brunt of the, you know, of the force of the crash, if that makes any sense. So that's just the the gruesome details of 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 the murder, and she was convicted of murder. Multiple counts. Murder, felonious assault, aggravated vehicular homicide, and she could have gotten 30 years in prison minimum, rather than 15, and Judge Russo said, quote, I understand the pain in this room wants me to impose the harshest sentence, but I don't believe McKenzie will be out in 15 years. First of all, you don't know that. Second of all, why does that matter to you? Judge Russo, during the sentencing, spoke of the extraordinary callousness that she showed after the crash. In the months after the crash, let me read this to you, the coverage of this from, uh, from yesterday. Prosecutors displayed in court yesterday social media posts that Mackenzie Schirrilla made in the months after the deaths showing herself dancing and dressed up for Halloween with friends at OU, at Ohio University. It was a shocking lack of remorse, according to Assistant Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Tim Troop. Yeah, I would say that. She killed two teenagers, her boyfriend and her friend, or I'm sorry, Dominic Russo was 20 at the time. Killed two young men, and and then after that went partying. In the months after, instead of being broken up, instead of being completely, you know, overcome with grief and shock and sadness at what she had done, she she partied. And it's one thing to say she went to parties, and then made sure everybody saw it by posting it on social media. It, it's quite remarkable. Why am I bringing all of this up? First of all, it's just tragic and it's horrific and my prayers and, and I know everybody else who's a person of faith uh, offers the same to the families of these, uh, uh, these victims. But it, to me, it goes to what continues to be a problem in our legal system. We have light prosecutions and we have light sentences. Now, I'm not suggesting that the prosecution didn't do everything they can here. To my understanding, Michael O'Malley, the prosecutor in the case, literally asked for the sentences to run consecutively, one after the other. It wasn't him in this case? But Judge Russo. Judge Russo, I'm ba- I I'm, she she spoke at the sentencing of the horrific uh uh you know, crime committed here by McKenzie declared, quote, there's only one person responsible for all of the pain in this room, and that person is you, spoke about her callousness, and then said, I'm going to give her a break, run those sentences consecutively, or uh, concurrently instead of consecutively, and they folded all of the other charges into the, the uh, murder charges. So in other words, there's no extra time for those either. I don't understand that. I don't understand that, and I don't know anything about Judge Russo as a judge, or very little, but I do know that there are two young men who will never get out of their their uh, their uh, their graves in fifteen years. they wouldn't get out in thirty either, so the argument could be then you know what what's the difference uh maybe that's the answer maybe that's the answer. murderers get out of prison when their victims get out of their graves, and yes, that means life sentences. I know she's eighteen I know that that's an extraordinarily difficult thing to sentence somebody to. But the, the facts of this case are so egregious, I think it, it warrants such, such consideration. All right, now that's number one. That's local story number one that I wanted to share with you. Local story number two is kind of gross, but it's something that I think we need to talk about because of what it isn't. Let me explain that. Euclid police are searching. This is from Fox 8 for a man uh, accused of exposing and touching himself at a local store. This first incident happened in June. They believe he did it twice. The second one was just uh, last week on August 12th. In the second incident, a mother saw the man committing the lewd act behind her and her 16-year-old daughter. This is disgusting, said Captain Jeff Cutwright. We're trying to identify this man before it can happen again. On Monday, police released a picture of the suspect, and asked anyone with information to call Euclid police detectives right away. We've got to find this guy, the chief said. I think the guy is someone that will escalate his behavior. This is extremely alarming behavior. I do not disagree. So why am I talking about this story? Because this story, my friends, is an example of what we talked about throughout the month of June. Throughout the month of June, in cities and towns all across America, Parades were held. Parades were held in which grown men exposed themselves to crowds of people, including children, and touched themselves and one another. They committed lewd acts to, quote, what the police are describing here on this case in Euclid. And nobody ran up to them to handcuff them. Nobody ran up and arrested them. In fact, here's what people did. Yes. Yes. Woo! Oh, so diverse. So inclusive. Yes. You be you. That's right, sweetheart. That's what they did. And during that time, every time a new video emerged of one of these pride parades in which naked or nearly naked men exposed themselves to crowds of people grinding, twerking, and committing other lewd acts, I told you that if this happened at any other time of the year, in any other circumstances, the people doing these things would be arrested. But because these men were gay, or in some cases were trans identifying, it was applauded and it was cheered for its diversity. So my question becomes, is public nudity and publicly lewd acts, are they illegal or are they not? Because we cannot live in a society in which it just depends on the motivation. And we cannot live in a society in which a straight man exposing himself is going to get arrested, but a man who's exposing himself because he's gay or trans is celebrated for his wonderful openness and diversity. We can't live like that. Decency needs to prevail in all cases, not just in some of them. Lewdness needs to be condemned in all cases not just in some of them i saw this story on fox eight last night and immediately the first thing i thought of that's exactly what i said during the pride month you take these guys who are walking down the street naked in many cases fully naked in other cases wearing only thong banana hammocks and they're out there in, in on dog leashes and they're touching each other and they're shaking their rear ends and the faces of children and I said, if they did that at any other time in front of the school playground, they'd be arrested. Well, here's the example. I told you we got a lot to do today. This is just the very beginning. We have a lot of stories we want you to hear. we got more on the return to school and what that means for the sexualization and the indoctrination of your children. We'll get into all of that, and I welcome you at
0: 216-901-0945. Stay here. Christ, nobody. Do you reason in the age of unreason? Always write radio with Bob France and the answer.
3: All right, uh, 934. Thanks for being with us this morning. I just got a text message from a friend who listened to the opening segment said, that is the bigger problem. Talking about the uh, Strongsville situ- situation and the concurrent sentence as opposed to the consecutive sentencing. We catch them. And the prosecutors either give them sweet deals or the judges give them BS sentences, no consequences, no penalties, no accountability. That was my point. And I'm not suggesting there's no accountability. She didn't get, you know, set on probation. She was, of course, convicted of two murders. But the point being that this is the kind of case when you look at the totality of the circumstances, in my view, as a non-judge, so maybe it's easy for me to do this, but as a non-judge, you look at the totality of the, the case, the murders, And then the lack of remorse, the the callous uh, disregard for the feelings of the families going out there and going to parties and posting on social media after your boyfriend and his uh, 19-year-old friend are dead, uh, this girl needed to be made an example of. Uh, And and, and I think 15 to life doesn't do it as well as 30 to life would have. And that was the option presented to Judge Nancy Russo, and she chose uh, to... um, Uh, to go with the lighter sense, and that's just, uh, I don't understand that. All right, I want to get into a couple of others now, because school is back, or it's about to be. Um, Here we go. More and more school districts are apparently exploring or already have planned to shift to a four-day school week instead of five to appease disgruntled teachers. Several school districts within Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas, for example, are going to be operating on a four-day class schedule in an effort to retain and address a shortage of teachers. You see, teachers, I don't like that whole, you know, full week's pay, a full week of work in order to get a full week's pay, because probably because they're used to the whole, well, we only have to work nine months out of the year to get a full 12-month salary, right? And I say that as a former teacher. I spent six years before I got into broadcasting as a classroom teacher. So I know what I'm talking about here, and I know the mindset here, and I also know what the teachers' unions are, 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 are doing here. As of May 8th, 850 school districts had moved to four-day school weeks or, or a later start time or both. This is a move intended, they say, to improve students' mental health, Cut spending and combat teacher shortages. I'll tell you something else it does. It makes life miserable for parents, particularly working moms, who now have to figure out what to do with their kids one day a week when they should be in school. One Louisiana parent told Fox 15 down there, it's weird because of the simple fact it's cutting down on kids' learning. Not only that, it's costing more out of parents' pockets for daycare and activities uh, are going to be harder to get to as well. At least 31 percent of Missouri school districts, 161 school systems in total, will be on four-day work uh, school week schedules during the 2023- 2024 school year that is starting right now. You look at the material that the education or excuse me, you look at the material the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education has put out, and it says that 62 percent of the teachers in Missouri leave by their fifth year. We consistently hear from people who we are now interviewing that the four-day work week is something that really appealed to them. And we can't think of any other reason that's led to the increase in applications. So let's pause and let's talk about what it means. It means that these little lazy Marxist a-holes can't stand the idea of putting in a full week's work in order for a full week's pay. And these are the people that are supposed to be teaching your children how to get ready for their adult lives to prepare them on how to succeed in our our beautiful, wonderful, capitalist country. They don't want to show up for work. What the hell do you think they're going to be teaching the kids? They're going to be teaching the kids that you don't have to work hard and you don't have to put in full effort and maximum effort if you hold out long enough and just demand um, pay or demand whatever your, your compensation is, uh, that satisfies you. And if you think I'm kidding that that's what they teach these children today, our children, your children, my children, if you think I'm kidding, let's move now to Portland. Portland, Oregon. Portland school district, the, the Portland school district rather, is expected to implement a new guideline to be put in place by 2025, so not this school year, but next school year, the 2024-2025 school year, um, new equitable grading practices that outlaw zeros for any student for any reason. In other words, if a student is caught blatantly cheating on a test, no zeros. If a student just... Doesn't do the test. Doesn't do the project. Doesn't do the assignment. Turns in nothing. No zeros. Want to know why? Equity. Racial equity. Portland Public Schools... Now implementing their equitable grading practices in time for the 2024-2025 school year bar teachers from assigning zeros to students who even cheat or fail to turn in assignments. The district uh, initiative aims to address racial disparities and inequities in grading and instruction, a journey that the district said began during the pandemic. Grading for equity, the handout states, includes eliminating zeros as a grade, even when a student cheats or fails to turn in a test or assignment. It also calls for no penalties for late work. Ah, just turn it in whenever the hell you want. And no grades for both homework and non-academic factors, such as participation, attendance, effort, attitude, and behavior. Do you hear that? You wonder why it is that teachers are demanding four-day school weeks as opposed to five? Because they want full pay for doing less work, and that's what they're teaching the kids. You still get compensated. You still get your grades. You don't get zeros if you don't turn something in. You don't get zeros, and you don't have your grade lowered because of lack of participation, attendance. You don't have to show up. Effort. Attitude or behavior, you can be an a-hole in the class, you can make noises, you can disrupt, you can poke at other kids, and you are still going to get your grades. Why? Equity. The new grading practices are expected to be implemented Uh, by 2025, as noted. Some classrooms adopted them last year. Reflecting left-wing efforts across the country to achieve equitable outcomes among all students. In California, for example, new equity-focused math curriculum guidelines aim to narrow the gap between the gifted and non-gifted learners by abandoning student tracking practices to help accelerated learners access more advanced instruction. The outreach director... At the parental rights group, Parents Defending Education said Portland's equitable grading practices hurt both struggling students and high-achieving ones. Those equitable grading policies, however well-intended, and I would submit to you they're not well-intended. They're not well-intended. You know what they are? They're racist. What's, what's, What's more racist than saying we don't believe that... Minority students, students of color, can get the work done on time. We don't believe they can attend classes regularly. We don't believe that they can not cheat. We don't believe they're capable of achieving at a level of non-minorities or white students or Asian students. We don't think they can do it. So we're not going to punish them for not doing it. We're going to give them the same grades anyway. What's more racist than that? It's the same mentality that the Democrats have when it comes to voting. We don't believe that minorities are capable of getting a ride to a uh, a BMV, Bureau of Motor Vehicles, to get a driver's license. Or if they don't drive, to get a free state identification to use when they vote. We don't think they're capable. And so that's why voter ID laws are racist. Because people who are of color cannot do the things that people who are not of color can do. What's more racist than that? These equitable grading policies, however well intended, are a disaster for the students who struggle the most and for students who need accelerated coursework. And by the way, that's another point, too. What about good students? Good students who work hard and whose incentive to write good papers and to turn them in on time, whose incentive to study and pass a test and get a good grade what happens to them when they find out that I don't actually have to do this assignment and I'm still going to get a, I'm not going to get a zero? There's, I think they're saying the minimum that they will give is a 50. The minimum is half credit. The initiative calls for to only base grades on summative assessments instead of classwork, homework, for formative assessments, et cetera. Should a student cheat or fail to submit an assignment on time, teachers should provide a grade of at least 50%. The district handout outlining the initiative says the uh, uh, it also calls to replace the typical 0 to 100 grading scale with a 0 to 4 scale. In which case, of course, somebody who doesn't do any work gets at least a 2. And that means they pass. What is that going to tell a kid? What about a kid who works really, really hard and isn't a great student, a brilliant student, but works really, really hard and might get a 60, might get a 65, but then we find out I don't have to work hard at all and I get a 50, I'll take it, as long as I pass. So my point to this is, quite obviously, there is a good and a bad. There's a plus and a minus to the lazy little Marxist teachers not wanting to show up five days a week. The, The bad, of course, the minus side is that... They're lazy and they don't want to come to work, and that's a problem. And they shouldn't expect full pay and increase increases in pay for that. But the good news is that's one day, one less day a week that your kids are going to be groomed and indoctrinated by left wing teachers. That's one less day of grooming and indoctrination and brainwashing and sexualizing and pronoun changing that your kids are going to have to deal with in school every week. (laughs) <laughs> one day one day less that might actually be the greater good right you don't know you don't think i'm being serious about that well let's take a listen in to a school administrator talking with some of the other teachers and administrators in a zoom call in which they discuss well requiring students to speak proper english
4: saw this in my time in the public school system, Uh, when a uh, black or African-American child says to their teacher, teacher, can I ask you a question? And the immediate response being from the teacher uh, with a sense of superiority based in uh, white racial superiority, often with our 84 percent white female teachers, uh, the response being, that's not how we say ask. We say ask, ax isn't a word. And so we have children that understand their home language practices uh, to be not just deficit, not just wrong, but broken, uh, ignorant. The list goes on and on um, as to what it communicates when you police a child's language that their home and their community has
3: taught. When you police a child's language, did you catch that? Teaching kids to speak properly and pronounce words as they're spelled is policing their language and professing white racist superiority.
4: Taught them. Uh, So for me, I really like to ask my teachers to start with that identity work and look at yourself uh, and understand uh, what are you bringing into the classroom as a norm?
3: So if you tell a kid to say the word ask with the letters in the order that they are rather than switching two of them and making the k come before the s you are a white superior white racist superiority um uh, teacher i guess that's what you call it right white white racial r- racial or racist superiority
4: Uh-oh superiority based in uh, white racial superiority. Or right,
3: does white racial superiority, if you actually ask kids, see, I, who knew that educating children so that they speak properly, so that they present well when they go to get a job in their future, which is the goal of a school, who knew that educating them on how to speak properly was actually practicing racism? It's quite astounding, but not astounding as astounding as this. The non stop grooming of
5: children without parental knowledge or consent. As a school administrator, I will never intentionally misgender a staff member or student. Schools are supposed to be a safe place where kids can learn and grow and be themselves.
3: No, no, they're not. This person should have their school administrator's license revoked. Schools are not meant to be a safe space where kids can learn and grow and be themselves. No. Schools are places in which children are educated. Educated. Not indoctrinated. Educated. And, in fact, it's where they learn structure. It's where they learn rules, norms, regularities, not where they can just go and freewheel and do whatever they want and explore themselves. That is not what schools are for. That's what playtime is for. That's what recess is for. That's what home time is for. Schools are for structure, order, discipline, education, knowledge, learning to learn. That's what schools are for. And look at what they've become.
5: As a principal of a middle high school I am very passionate about making sure that all my students feel safe and included.
3: Except for the students who are there to be normal kids and to learn. If you're a normal kid, and you, that by normal that means a girl who knows she's a girl and a boy who knows he's a boy, And you are forced to call a girl by a boy's name or a boy's pronoun or to call a boy by a girl's name or a girl's pronoun or a made-up pronoun or a plural pronoun. Those kids aren't feeling included. Those kids are the ones being excluded. Those kids are the ones being forced to observe and participate in this ridiculous delusion and this grooming of other children so don't tell me madam principal that you are being inclusive of all children you're not
5: and respected we have ability and ability in our grading system or our um, student tracking system to change pronouns uh, preferred pronouns and preferred names and that's exactly what we do so if a student would like to change their pronouns we can do that for them in our system which also means that when they log on to their um, Chromebook it will come up as their preferred name
3: so away we go the new school year is upon us a new round of leftist indoctrination is underway a new round of sexualization teaching children about sexual attraction when they're in elementary school, teaching children about being different, uh, uh, exploring different identities. Rather than educating kids, they are trying to create a nation of little, tiny Marxists in training with an attempt to separate them from their parents, separate the entire nuclear family, break it apart so that the village can indeed control the population. You know how they say it takes a village. It's what Hillary and a number of... It takes a village to raise a child. So the village can raise the child in complete subservience to the state without parents getting in the way. That, my friends, is what this is all about. I got more for you. I got more right after this.
0: Simple.com. The Bullington Capital Report. You know, there are an awful lot of people that go through life that are really good memorizers. Not so
1: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness.
0: This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France.
3: All right, hour number two now underway. On this Tuesday, it's the 22nd morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Normally would be cursing out time. As I said in the open, Peter has got a very full schedule this week. He's unable to be with us. He'll be back with us next Tuesday. Uh, so that means we have more time to talk. And by the way, I apologize. I haven't been exactly caller friendly today. I've been I told you I came loaded for bear. This is a welcome back to school nightmare scenario for so many teachers and for so many kids, and I wanted to give you all of it, or at least as much of it as I can fit into the time allowed, and I will go to your phone calls. I see people on hold. Just bear with me. I'm not going to be caller unfriendly the whole show. I just want to get a couple more points in here. So adding to everything that I shared with you over the course of the the last hour, let me give you two more. The uh, enemies are everywhere. They're everywhere. The enemies of education and the enemies of family development, the em- enemies of children, uh, normalization, they're everywhere. They're not just in the classrooms. They're also in the libraries. Emily Drabinsky is the president of the American Library Association, the L.A. It's a pretty big deal. Emily Drabinsky um, is a self-described Marxist lesbian. She was tapped to lead the organization, the ALA, in April of last year, sparking outrage from parent advocates who pointed to her history of anti-conservative rhetoric, a push for LGBTQ pornographic literature in libraries, and positions on parental rights. As a matter of fact, she said her goal as the head of the ALA is to reset her children's libraries on, quote, notions of queerness, end quote, and to prevent what she described as angry white mob parents from trying to block her efforts. It should be a self-evident fact that politics and pornography have no place in kids' libraries, said Tom Jones, American Accountability Foundation pre- uh, president. Yet this is exactly the vision Drabinsky seeks to implement. And in fact, she has said it out loud. This isn't, this isn't even, we're going to do this behind parents' backs. We're going to do this in spite of parents. We're going to tell the white mob parents to go away. In an attempt to explain why sexually explicit material should be shared with children, this self-described Marxist lesbian recalled reading a book about fantastic queer sex in a field when she was just 14. She used that example to suggest that allowing such books in school libraries allow kids to find refuge. <laughs> She told Gendered Shell's Body and Identity in the Library for Women Environments International magazine way back in 2009. That's when she was on this. Many parents are forming a movement to push back against access to sexually explicit books in their children's libraries and schools. But despite their growing concern, Drabinsky labeled these individuals as white mob parents. She said that, these white mob parents don't want black people, Jewish people, gay people to exist at all, end quote. I mean, you think about, think about the hatred that just comes dripping from the person who's in charge of the ALA, the American Library Association. She said the libraries are good places to, to do all kinds of things that people on the right don't like. Queering library space. Notes Toward a New Geography of the Library is an article she wrote in 2008 saying, the idea is to make libraries a space based on an ideology that centered notions of queerness and difference rather than of democracy and citizenship. Now, I want to hit you with that line again because that's 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 a key one. It's one thing to promote this queer agenda. It's another thing to do it intentionally and in replacement of citizenship and liberty. That's what she literally said. And I want to read this to you again. This is big. In a 2008 article she wrote entitled Queering Library Space Notes Toward a New Geography of the Library, Drabinsky said the aim is to make libraries, quote, a space based on an ideology that centered notions of queerness and difference rather than of democracy and citizenship, end quote. Some people have been wondering why drag queens suddenly started reading books to children in libraries. Now you know this was all part of the agenda to queer up the libraries and to try to queer up more children. And one more since I told you the enemies are coming are all around us and they're coming from a number of different directions let's go to the teachers unions. According to uh, a new report from Daily Wire, America's largest teachers union, that's the ATF, or AFT rather the American Federation of Teachers, coached its members on how to inject gender identity politics into classroom teaching how to expose students to gender identity within the curriculum. Rather than having separate curriculum, which of course would draw all kinds of attention and criticism, they are working it into existing curriculum. The report uh, that was published by the Defense of Freedom Institute describes the teachers' unions uh, together educating America's children, or TEACH. Conference in July. So just last month, two of the sessions were entitled "Affirming LGBTQIA+ Identities in and Out of the Classroom" and the TGNB—I'm sorry, TGNCNB, which is Transgender, Gender Nonconforming, Nonbinary Inclusive School in Classroom. Both sessions gave attendees ideas and action items to take back their schools. Or I'm sorry, to take back to their schools. The mission, train teachers to affirm every gender identity that conflicts with a student's sex. Ignore basic biological facts. Hide the training from the parents and shape school policies to force others to do the same. And this is grotesque. The AFT, together with the other giant teachers union, the National Education Association, the NEA, are both wholly committed to yanking your children from your control, to break apart your family, to force them to, to choose something other than what their parents believe them to be, so that they then are at, at loggerheads with their parents. The destruction of the nuclear family is a Marxist principle. It is a technique. It is, a, it is, it is, it is something they train on. It's, it's part of their credo to destroy the nuclear family. And what better way to do, to do that than to poison the minds of their kids to the point where parents are outraged over it and then they tell the kids, your parents just don't understand you. Well, then let's just not tell them anymore. Let's shh, just keep this between us like groomers do. I mean, I've got so much more here. I could do this for another three hours. I've just in the last hour and a half, I've given you enough stuff to make you think, I can never send my kid to a school or a public library again. And you know what? should be right. Government schools are filled with this trash. The sad reality is so are many of the private institutions, including some Catholic schools, filled with the same kind of woke, ridiculous, grooming, gender-identifying nonsense that the government-run schools are. So where do you go? All right. Um, Like I said, I could do this forever, but I do want to get some calls in. So we'll go to TJ first in Cleveland. TJ, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, hello, Bob. Yeah, TJ. Hello? Yes, hello. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you know, Bob, I was watching that news thing last night, too, with that guy exposing himself in a supermarket, and I thought the same thing you did. You know, if he said he was a girl and he walked into a woman's locker room He could walk around exposed all the time and they'd be patting him on the back.
3: That's right. 100% correct.
2: Or in a gay parade, he could do that. But you know what even got me more than that is how they were responding, these newscasters and this police chief. They were acting like this guy was public enemy, number one. He has to be stopped. Who knows what this can escalate into. And I'm sitting there thinking, I leave my house, there's a lot of dangers on my mind. Uh, Carjackers. Gangbangers, texting drunken drivers. I gotta be truthful with you, Bob. I'm not too afraid of somebody dropping their drawers in Giant Eagle. And expose
3: them no stuff. no no don't do that TJ no, don't no, do that you're saying. doing you're doing you're doing what they want you to do no no that's the wrong way to approach this TJ because he is a threat if he's willing to walk behind oh. women and to pull his uh you know pants down and start touching himself Lord knows how far he is away from sexually attacking somebody raping somebody sexual assaulting somebody it wouldn't be you it would be a female so they're right to say this guy's dangerous they're right to say he should be found because um, it's been it's happened twice now with him with the same information individual uh and and who knows when he escalates it to uh to a physical attack and sexually assaults uh, you know a female uh maybe it's your daughter maybe it's mine those kinds of things are real i think you need to take that very seriously rather than minimizing the threat he poses let's point out the fact that they celebrated those same threatening type of behaviors during the pride parades that's the reality
2: and and i'm not trying to downplay it bob don't don't read me wrong on that i mean you know it it, it is a serious thing I'm i'm just saying in our cities Uh, with the crime, I mean, and and stuff going on. Uh, It's serious. But, you know, on on the list of seriousness, you know... There's no, I think, no, no, TJ, start.
3: we just disagree on this. It's, it's high on the list of seriousness. Sexual assaults happen from perverts like that. Freak shows who who get themselves naked and start exposing themselves. And thanks for the call, my friend. Uh, you know, in front of women, they're a threat to attack those women. They're just as much of a threat to attack a woman as the, the, the carjacker is to putting a gun to your head and saying, get out. Uh, they're real. That threat is real. I don't minimize that at all. In fact, I want that guy arrested, and I want everybody who took their pants off and touched themselves and one another in those gosh darn parades to be arrested too. They are just as dangerous. We're talking about predators and pedophiles any man who wants to put on a dog mask and a dog collar and be let around on his hands and knees while he's wearing a thong and go up to little children to let them scratch his head as if he were a real dog these people are two steps away from raping kids period forever I have I will never ever ever be convinced otherwise of that they are two steps away from raping kids and that is just as serious to me as the guy that we're talking about there in Euclid. He's walking around, pulling out his junk and touching himself while walking behind a wo- a, a woman and her daughter in a store. He's one step away from grabbing them and touching them with it and, and sexually assaulting them. I, I think it's a le- very legitimate thing to be afraid of. For, for women, of course. Not for you, TJ, but for women. Joe in uh, Westlake. Hi, Joe. Go ahead, sir.
6: Hi, Bob the answer to the terrible education problem is get rid of government funded compulsory schooling and even support for college education with the with the uh, loans uh there's a lot of evidence for this i'd like to mention a couple things okay the further back in time you look the more educated people were the more schooling the less education uh it, cleveland just keeps getting worse and worse with reading ability and if you do a Google search for 8th grade graduation test from 100 years ago, you'll find a test for 8th grade from 1912 that college students would fail today. So what happened? What happened is the total decline of American education. Mm-hmm. Compulsory tax-funded education has totally failed. We need to get rid of it. Take a look at the books, Underground History of American Education, The Case Against Education, and also Intellectuals in Society by Thomas Sowell. Thanks.
3: Oh, is that.? Well, hold on. Are, are, are you still there, Joe? Yes, I am. Oh, okay, I thought you were saying thanks and hanging up real quick. Okay. Um,. What's the alternative? Um, while while I understand with and agree with a lot of what you are saying and what those points were about education, the more education you get, the the less educated you are, the less you know uh, uh, able you are. But but what what are we saying when you say completely dismantle the public education system? Somebody needs to be able to teach kids how to do uh, things that they cannot that their parents cannot teach them. You know that's why we outsource algebra we, we to return- teachers. We or we outsource things we that re- parents cannot do themselves because. That That kid that gets a formal education and learns algebra and then and it does well and moves on to algebra too and does well and moves on to you know calculus and so on, are our engineers of the future. there are our, 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 our you know the, the future of, of human technology and so forth. So I mean we can't just say we cannot have public education, right?
6: Yes, we can. We return to the school system of a hundred years ago. Which involved community education and also education by charitable. Well, one hundred years ago,
3: but one hundred years ago, but, we had like we had single single room classrooms where the first graders are in the same grade, of, same room as the twelfth graders. We we kind of broke them out of that because it was kind of difficult to teach all things that, to all kids no, at all different no, levels.
6: No, Bob, that's not why we broke them out of it. We broke them out of it to indoctrinate them into state ways of thinking. That's explained in the book, The Underground History of American Education. That book was written by the 1990 New York State Teacher of the Year, John Taylor Gatto, the number one teacher in New York State. Okay, he I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doubting the
3: merits of what you're talking about. What I'm asking, though, is if we say that we're not going to have actual formal education, where are tomorrow's doctors coming from? Where are tomorrow's chemists? Where are tomorrow's researchers? Where are tomorrow's like I said, engineers have, and so forth coming we, from?
6: We do have formal education. It's not tax-funded, and it's not compulsory. It's completely private and it's unregulated. That's what worked and then, for and then, but, of years.
3: Well, well, did it? I mean, what it yes, what it worked what it worked toward, though, Joe, is what we have now, which is you know, which is the the greatest civilization in the history of humankind. We've evolved from that. We've we've taught more. I mean, I'm sure you understand. There there are many many kids who don't necessarily like school who don't necessarily, you know, when they start out, are not necessarily good students. But as they grow and as they mature, they mature, they come to realize that there is something to this, and then they start taking it seriously, and suddenly they become the next doctor. Or become, like I said, the next uh, uh, you know, uh, there were more, amazing there achiever were more that, would, that would not, hold on, that would not have done that had they not had compulsory education. Had they just been left to a choice of, do you want to go or not want to go? Or do your parents want you to go or not want to go? And you say no, and then suddenly the world is deprived of somebody who would have achieved something great that's why education matters for everybody
6: if there were more of those kids before the state got involved that's a fact
3: well i'd have to see how that is a fact but i appreciate your point and thanks for the tip on the book too uh, appreciate the call it's ten twenty-six. we've got to take a time out i want to talk more about this education issue uh but we also have a guest coming up here in a few minutes we're going to talk to the former communications director for Ohio Right to Life, Lizzie Marbach, who got herself into a news story last week, got fired shortly thereafter, and is kind of at the center of a, a bit of a controversy now. We're going to talk to her about that briefly, and then we're going to talk to her also about what we share, and that is a goal to stop the uh, amendment in November from passing, which would allow abortion on demand in the state of Ohio. All of that
0: coming up. In the sleeping masses. Stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France and the Answer. Ten
3: thirty-five now. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. We'll come back to the school discussion in just a bit. Uh, there's still a lot of ground to cover there as the kids head back to school into their indoctrination centers. And guess what? The Catholic schools, the private schools, oftentimes are no better than the government schools and in fact I've got an example that I'm going to share with you in just a bit. But right now I want to turn our attention um to um a little matter that happened a little over a week ago uh and it was well it's actually about a week ago. Today's Tuesday. I think this is when it all went down last week. Uh a Twitter spat between a member of Ohio Right to Life and uh Congressman Max Miller um seemingly led to a termination of the uh, of the Ohio Right to Life Communications Director uh, because of the dispute over matters of faith. And this comes at a time when people of faith who are all pro-life uh, need to be coming together in order to try to stop the amendment, the abortion on demand and the transing on demand amendment that, that is uh, going to be up for uh, on the ballot in November. So joining me now is the former communications director for Ohio Right to Life, Elizabeth Marbach, joining us now at AM 1420, The Answer. Lizzie, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. So we were set to talk last week. Um, You reached out I think it was on uh, Wednesday uh, about coming on. On Friday we were going to talk about this issue, uh, the issue of uh, the November um, abortion on demand uh, amendment to the Constitution, the Ohio Constitution. And um, that was the time, Friday morning, that I found out. Whoa, Lizzie is no longer the communications director at the, uh, at, the at Ohio Ride to Life, and so that kind of touched off uh, a lot of uh, controversy and a lot of media coverage. So I wanted to go right to the source, and uh, I want to ask you what happened. Um, you know, everybody knows about the Twitter spat. Uh, you po- posted a tweet uh, which expressed your strongly held Christian gospel belief about uh, there is no hope for any of us outside of having faith in Jesus Christ alone. It prompted a negative response from Congressman Miller. Um, what happened after that, Lizzie? Well,
7: the the, the Twitter spat with the congressman really just kind of encapsulates the – kind of tension that has been between me and Ohio Rachel Life since the very beginning. Um, Long story short is that I believe in, you know, a new brazen brand of conservatism that speaks boldly, that stands up against the evil that we're up against uh, and, and thinks that, you know, the, the time for, you know, squishy conservatism is, is no more. And so that's always been my, my philosophy. And I let them know that going into the job um, and unfortunately, Ohio Right to Life disagreed with that. They're a little bit more on the side of political correctness. They've been known as as being more of the establishment pro-life group, um, as noted with their, you know, uh, almost decades-long fight over the heartbeat bill where they were opposing it. And so I think that it was just kind of a, a, a fight of, of political philosophy um, that came about that ultimately led to my firing um i will say the situation
3: with max miller well um, hold on a second hold on a second before we get into max then i just wanted to follow up on what you just said so you said you let them know when you took the job uh that you were going to be you know not not politically correct you were going to come out there with uh fire and brimstone if you will about the evil that is the abortion lobby and so forth um but they hired you so they were okay with that at the time it, it would appear or can you tell me how that worked out (laughs)
7: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if maybe they underestimated uh, what I meant by that, uh, if they thought that I might just be, you know, a little bit louder than than your usual uh, person, but no, I am... I am very, very much uh, of the opinion that we need to be as bold as possible. So I think that maybe they just underestimated what I meant by that when I when I told them. I will say my my Twitter was public for them to see um, my uh, you know strategy that I that I did want to put out there. My communication strategy for not only my own personal Twitter account but also High Right to Life. I think that abortion is murder, and the only way that we can defeat it is by clarifying what it actually is, defining what it actually is, and letting culture know that ab- abortion is an evil, abhorrent saying that that cannot be tolerated in our state. And uh, for so long, you look at the pro-life movement for the past 50 years, and there's uh, the, the establishment groups have thought that the only way to defeat abortion is to take this inch-by-inch inch incremental approach where you don't even really talk about what abortion is, you argue it based on the left premise that yes, this is healthcare, but let's only, you know, uh, have it up to this week or let's only do this, uh, rather than chopping it down at the root and saying no, all abortion is murder. Um, and so I think that they might have just underestimated what I meant by that. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, it, so
3: it what, did, what did they tell you, <laughs> what did they tell you, Lizzie, when you started using that kind of of language and, and, and that bluntness and saying abortion is murder? And if you are an abortionist, you're a murderer. And I, I can't remember exactly word for word some of the things that you are uh, you have tweeted and so forth. But um, they obviously had a problem with the tenor and tone, according to the letter that went public uh, that you were using. So what did they say to you when they when you said, look, abortion is murder? Did they say to you, no, it's not? or we're just not allowed to say it out loud.
7: It was it was more so that we're not supposed to say it out loud, that we're supposed mm-hmm. to speak in a softer tone, a gentler tone, so that we don't offend anyone. Um, and, and look, I, I get it because abortion is a sensitive topic. There's a lot of women who are post-abortive, but there's also a lot of uh, voters that need to know what is going to be on the ballot this November. What are they voting for? And the only way to be truly passionate and truly loving to women who are either considering abortion or who have gotten an abortion is to tell them the truth. I don't think that that anyone would appreciate being coddled or lied to about what the truth of of abortion actually is. I think that it's more compassionate to to speak boldly and to let them know um, what's actually at stake here. And, that we we can't allow that. And so, yeah, anytime that I would post that abortion is murder or that this is evil, or there is one tweet that I responded back to an abortion activist who is actively working to get this radical abortion amendment passed this November, I I called her a murderous liar because she was advocating for murder and lying about it. And they really disliked that because they thought that I was being nasty or just name calling, but that's not name calling. That's calling out evil. And as a Christian, first and foremost, I'm commanded by, by God to call out evil just as Jesus did, just as the apostles did, every early church father did, as well as the American founders did. Um, we're, we're called to speak. Out against evil, and this isn't just merely a political battle. Uh, a, oh, if I'm disagreeing with somebody over tax reform, okay, let's let's have a little bit more of a cordial discussion, right? We don't have to get that extreme, but we're talking about people literally snuffing out and killing innocent babies here. There's there's no time for a soft tone with that, in my opinion. <laughs>
3: We are talking with Elizabeth Marbach. She is the former communications uh, director at Ohio Right to Life. She's telling the story about why she is no longer the communications director there. Let's let's move into the Congress uh, the uh, spat with the congressman. So again, for those who didn't see it, I think almost everybody has by now. Who's in this listening audience? You tweeted: "There's no hope for any of us outside of having faith in Jesus Christ alone." He responded with, God says that Jewish people are the chosen ones, but yet you say we have no hope. Thanks for your pearl of wisdom today. He then went on to tweet and say that you should delete the tweet, and that it's one of the most bigoted statements that he has seen. How did you take that, and uh, what was your what was your first blush reaction when you read that from the congressman? Well,
7: I will say I was definitely shocked when I saw that. Um, it's actually kind of funny, because... I had just gotten off the phone with one of my superiors where he was asking me to tone it down. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll leave for work today. I'll I'll write a positive, uplifting message of hope. (laughs) And then that's when Congressman Miller responded back to that. I'm like, man, that backfired. Um, But I I was just completely shocked by, by the reaction that that statement is bigoted. Um, that's that's a core tenet of the Christian faith that this country was built on. the The foundation of conservatism, the foundation of America, I would say, is the Christian faith, and it is the fact that there is no hope for any of us outside of faith in Jesus Christ. And so, for him to take that as not only a personal attack, but as an attack on religious liberty, it, it just completely flips the notion on its head. Uh, Max. It, Congressman Max Miller, he, he's free to disagree with my statement, um, but he's an elected official who's now demanding and intimidating a private citizen to quiet their own religious beliefs. That that goes against the very thing that he's trying to preach against. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, was there, was there was any,
3: just, if I may, uh, Lizzie, was there any room? because i 've talked to Congressman Miller since then, and he 's going to come on live tomorrow to address this he has also He has issued apologies in a number of different uh, spaces uh, for his remarks to you, including right there on Twitter. Uh, quote, I posted something earlier that conveyed a message I did not intend. I will not try to hide my mistake or run from it. I sincerely apologize to Lizzie and to everyone who read my post. He also um, issued an apology to the Ohio Christian Alliance. I know Pastor Chris Long just posted about that. So I think he is very, very regretful of what he has written, and he'll tell me more about that tomorrow. Um, But do you allow for any room, or any room rather, for... The fact that he took it as kind of a slight against Judaism. The fact that when you say the only way to be saved, and I know it's gospel, but the only yeah. way is through Jesus Christ, and as we know, that, the, 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 you know, Judaism does not, or Jews do not necessarily believe in the divinity of Christ, and therefore they can believe they are going to heaven. I mean, if a Jew hears somebody say you cannot go to heaven unless you believe in Jesus, you're essentially saying that they are going to hell. Because they don't believe in Jesus is it is it at least understandable that somebody might have a visceral visceral reaction to that
7: yeah absolutely and and let me clarify I did accept Max Miller's apology I hold no personal animosity against him I think that it definitely opened up an important conversation for us to have a, a, about this topic but I do um, appreciate his apology and the steps that he's taking to to correct. His his actions with that. Uh, with that being said, yes, ab- absolutely, I can understand why somebody would hear that message and be offended. Because the truth is that the gospel is offensive, and it is an exclusive message that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and and that it uh, is a narrow gate that gets through uh, in the end. And so it, we we see that all the way from the beginning. Uh, in the early church, that Christians have been persecuted for a very long time, and have been painted as these hateful bigots uh, because of the uh, exclusivity of the gospel—that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ alone. Um, but it's—it's it's not to say that we hate anybody else or that we're better than anyone else. The core of the foundation the core of the Christian faith is that I'm not better than anyone, right? Mm-hmm. I it, it's nothing that I have done that have that has allowed me to be saved, but what Jesus has mm-hmm. done and and his work, it's the great exchange on the cross that that takes place that is able to save any of us. And so my hope and prayer would be that everyone would come to salvation. Um, But I can definitely understand how someone can hear that and be offended, because that is a strong, strong message.
3: Yeah, yeah, no question about it. We're talking with Lizzie Marbach, if you just turned us on this morning. Lizzie is the former uh, director of communications at the Ohio Right to Life. One quick look at Lizzie Marbach on a search engine, you're going to find pro-life advocacy group fires comms director after GOP rep congressman uh, calls Christian bigoted for expressing her faith. Uh, She's fired. I mean, it's it's all every single story and every single headline makes it appear as though the way it appeared to me on Friday that they fired you because of the incident with Max Miller. Can you state just for? clear for clarity uh, so there's no ambiguity whatsoever that your departure was something that was in the works before the the uh the, the back and forth with congressman miller
7: yes so um like i said there had been a month long conversation about our our, our disagreements on communication strategy and my personal twitter mm-hmm. and on monday last week um my superior and i had an open discussion where we explored the idea of parting ways um and then tuesday we had that same discussion as well we left those discussions saying that uh we're unsure of the dis- of the next decision and that we would pray about it um and no decision had been made and then on thursday was when i spoke with my superior and he cited the Miller situation as a distraction, but said that it was my social media use as a whole as to why um, I was being let go. So yeah. it was and not due to the Miller exchange.
3: I think that clarity is very, very important, especially because for those who do not know the other part of the story, Max's wife is a member, uh, Emily Moreno Miller, is a member of the board uh, um, of the Ohio, on the Ohio Right to Life. So the appearance, just, just from outward appearances, you know, the optics are, okay, Max Miller gets into a, an argument with Lizzie Marbach. Uh, his wife is on the board where Lizzie Marbach works. Lizzie Marbach is fired. Clearly, it had something to do with her. So, uh, again, just for the sake of clarity and for the record, uh, Emily Marino Miller had nothing to do with anything uh, regarding your, your your conversations with Max. Correct. Okay, so that's, that's important to note, and I want everybody to, to be clear. Like I said, I'm going to talk to Max about this tomorrow as well. Um, Peter Range, who is uh, the executive director at the Ohio Right to Life, uh, did release a, um, a letter, an internal memo, I guess, discussing your situation prior to what happened there, so there's some evidence of that. So my question to you is, you still believe in fighting against abortion. You still believe in fighting for life. Uh, you can't do it with Ohio Right to Life. Where do you go now? What are you going to do?
7: Yeah, well, I'm just going to use the platform that I've been given very recently uh, to continue to advocate against abortion, to push every uh, single Ohioan to get out to vote no in November, and uh, then focus on on something very exciting happening in my personal life. My husband and I are actually expecting our first child uh, next oh month. Oh my in September. goodness! So-
3: Congratulations.
7: Thank you. Thank you very much. So, yeah, I'm just going to focus on serving them as a wife and (laughs) and mother and and just do what I can to fight against abortion.
3: (laughs) That is wonderful. Good for you. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I did have one other one. I just I wasn't sure if I was going to ask you about it, but since we're just about done, let's get it in here. What did it feel like to get a statement of support from Ilhan Omar? The congresswoman, the Muslim congresswoman who is constantly berating Israel, is very, very anti, I believe, anti-Semitic. She tweeted in response to all of this, no, stating the core beliefs or principles of your faith isn't bigoted, as Lizzie did. It's religious freedom, and no one should be scolded for that. It's also wrong to speak about religious freedom while simultaneously harassing people who freely express their beliefs. So she held... uh, uh, congressman miller accountable for his tweet while defending you what did you think of that
7: well i mean i i definitely appreciated her support um obviously i i know that she hasn't necessarily been a champion of religious freedom in the past but um, a broken clock is, is is right twice a day so i will take her uh support and encouragement and and appreciate it for what it was, and I would hope and pray maybe, maybe I planted a seed that, that she would continue to do that in the future. I'm not going to hold my breath for that, but I, I appreciate the support that she did put out there.
3: All right, so do you consider the matter closed now? You accepted Max Miller's apology. Have you spoken to him or just the uh, online apology that he offered?
7: I haven't spoken to him uh personally, just just the online apology. I would say that it's that it's closed like i said I, I think that uh it does open up a broader discussion in the public for us to have that I think is very important regarding Christianity and religious liberty and what that actually looks like um but as far as you know uh the congressman and and I going back and forth on on that, I think that that's that's a closed case and and I wish him the best.
3: Well, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a great way to end this. And you're happy you're about to be a mom, and uh, you want to be a wife and a mother, and so maybe this is good that you're going to have more time now that you won't be working with Ohio Right to Life. So everybody wins in a situation like this. Hopefully, Congressman Miller can get past this as well. Lizzie Marbach, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you sharing the story, and congratulations again on your pregnancy.
7: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
3: God bless you. Uh, there you go. That's Lizzie Marbach, um, former communications director. Of Ohio Right to Life, and as I said, Max Miller was already scheduled to come on the program tomorrow. This booking with Lizzie just happened yesterday. We just got this confirmed yesterday, uh, but we're going to uh, probably put this whole thing to bed with Congressman Miller, Miller tomorrow. I'm really glad she said what she did. She fully accepted his apology, and she understands why he might have taken it the way he did, which was, uh, you know, a, a little bit resentful of the notion that, you know, his religion. Uh, doesn't count because her quoting the gospel said uh, that it, the only way to, to to salvation is through Jesus. So, you know, I mean, look, we do have religious liberty in this country, and no one, I don't believe anyone, including Islam, nobody should be trying to tamp it down or to disrespect it or denigrate it solely for, you know, uh, for evil intent. Um, respect other people's views and beliefs without... Uh, Uh, without attacking it, and I think we're all just fine. We are a Judeo-Christian nation. We were founded that way, for goodness sakes. Uh, So I know why Christians were upset. I didn't like it at all, what Congressman Miller said, but I know he has fought very, very hard to write things uh, over the course of the last week. He has apologized in a number of different circles, and uh, he wants to put this thing behind him, too, and so do I, which is why we're going to have him on tomorrow to give him an opportunity to do exactly that. All right, you want to respond, we're guest-free. The rest of the way, 216-901-0945. Back after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
0: This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com.
1: You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance.
0: This is Always Right Radio with Bob Fratz on AM 1420, The Answer.
3: Okay, third and final hour of this Tuesday edition is underway. It is the 22nd morning of the 8th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. So we had a couple of really great discussions going this morning. First one being on uh, issues related to the reopening of schools. It's another school year. Teachers don't want to go. They want to go four days a week. I'm kind of trying to decide if my first blush reaction to that is the correct one or the second more thoughtful reaction is the right one. The first one was, you lazy Marxist SOBs, go earn your money. Go and do your job. You're supposed to be there five days a week. You only work nine months a year. Go do your job. But then my second more reflective reaction was, yeah, yeah, maybe it's for the greater good. Only four days a week of grooming and indoctrination instead of five. Maybe that's a positive for the kids of this country, particularly with the radical AFT, the American Federation of Teachers and the NEA, the National Education Educators' Association, the unions are so far off the hook, it's um, it's dangerous. So we got into talking about that and a lot about, about the uh, ongoing transing of America by way of indoctrinating and grooming your children. So I... Um, I, I want to share one more story on that, and then I'll go to your phone calls. Uh, in fact, I'll go to your phone calls a little, little bit more quickly if you're ready at 216 I was very uncaller-friendly in the first hour and a half of the show because I had so much information to present. But I will try to get right to you when you call this hour. So I've got one more that I want to share with you. There were, There was an event that was held on Sunday, so just two days ago, out in Davis, California, And I'm looking at the flyer for it, the promotional flyer. It's a forum on fair and safe sport for girls. Sunday, August 20th, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock p.m., Mary L. Stevens Davis Branch Library, 315 East 14th Street, Davis. The California Interscholastic Federation, CIF, prioritizes the wants of males before the needs of females. It's time to expose CIF's discriminatory policies that put girls at risk and removes opportunities to excel in sport. Join us to hear former CIF and NCAA collegiate women athletes, legal experts in Title IX and women's rights policy. This event is free and open to the public. No registration required. Okay. That doesn't sound like there's anything wrong with that, does there? A forum on fair and safe sport for girls. In other words, a forum to discuss how, what we can do to make sure that girls and women have the right to participate in their own sports amongst themselves without biological males coming over and dominating it. So, breaking their records, taking their scholarships, taking away their places on teams, etc. Sounds pretty normal. But then again, this is California, so nothing is going to be normal. The public library where this event was held kicked the organizers and the guests out after just 20 minutes, despite the fact that they had a reservation. You see, trans activists showed up screaming to interrupt the speakers from the start. They came in there and started screaming about transphobe this and bigot that. And when the presenters and the speakers described the problems of what's wrong with the attack on women's sports, they were told by the, library, the chief librarian that if they said anything misgendering, they would be removed. The first speaker to be booted committed the cardinal sin, the, the horrific offense, of saying that biological men do have a physical competitive advantage over biological women. She did not misgender anyone. She did not uh, insult anyone. She said that boys and men are physically and uh, 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 stronger and have more stamina and more of an advantage than biological females and girls. They kicked her out for saying that. Then a different uh, uh, speaker came up and talked about the fact that, yes, biological males participating in female sports is a problem. And then he was, she was removed by the librarian for misgendering. Not a, not not an individual, a hypothetical person saying that a biological male, a non-defined biological male participating in biological female sports, they said that was misgendering someone. That was the basis of kicking them out of the public library making it impossible to talk about the problem of biological males uh, coming in and competing in and dominating girls' sports. They remove them. And the answer, I think, or I should say, the, uh, I think the best reaction to this came from uh, a Twitter user who was responding to this, and I think it's spot on. These crazy cult members use children as a shield, asked a simple question about males and female sports, and she was accused of transphobia, they refuse to talk about or debate this because their beliefs fall apart at even the smallest examinations. I could not agree more. This is, this is how they're winning. They're refusing to have the discussion. It's easy to have a discussion when you don't, or excuse me, it's easier to win a debate when you don't allow the other side to participate in the discussion. If they say something you don't like, immediately claim offense or offended status and demand that the person be removed. It's what has been going on on social media for years. If you cannot defeat the argument, scream racist or racism and then watch the individual get canceled. Blocked, censored, shadow banned. If you cannot defeat the argument, scream transphobe. Well, wait a minute. Transphobe? Let's talk about the bio- biological realities of men and women. No, you're a transphobe. You're out. This is what they do. It's repugnant, and more than that, it's dangerous. And it is also something that they use to try to advance even more nefarious agendas. Let me explain. Two headlines. Headline one, Biden administration to urge all Americans get a coronavirus booster shot now. Now if you're thinking, what does this have to do with the trans agenda? Bear with me. Biden administration to urge all Americans get a coronavirus booster shot now. This is yesterday. This isn't from 2020 or 2021. Yesterday. All Americans will be urged by the Biden administration to get a coronavirus booster shot this autumn ahead of what it claims is a new wave of infections. Hey, how about it, Plandemic 2.0? Reuters reports the official said while the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report an increase in infections and hospital admissions from the virus, um, overall uh, levels remain low, but caution is being urged. Moderna? And other coronavirus vaccine makers, Novavax, Pfizer, and German partner BioNTech, uh, have all reportedly created versions of their mRNA shots ready and aimed at the XBB 1.5 subvariant. On Thursday, Moderna said its initial data showed its updated coronavirus is safe and effective against the Eris and Fornax subvariants in humans. Can you believe we're going through this all, all over again? Safe and effective. That's all. No side effects. Well, what kind of controls did you, did, you, did you use? What kind of trials, long-term trials on humans did you use to prove safety and effectiveness? Shut up, you. You want to lose your account? You want us to shut off AM radio? Safe and effective. Repeat after me. So you're wondering how I'm tying this into the school story. Here's how. These are the types of people that we are putting in charge of our kids meet Rick Busell he's running for school board in Bowling Green City Schools not Bowling Green State University this is Bowling Green the town Bowling Green City Schools Rick Busell who wants to be on the school board believes that your God is an a-hole if you don't jam those poison darts into the arms of your kids Evidence of this is in a tweet that was actually posted by school board candidate Rick Busell. Dear BG parents, if your God tells you not to let your 16 or 17-year-old get a vaccine shot, you and your God are risking your child's short-term and long-term health. Your God is an a-hole, except he said the whole word. And you should look for a better one. So here's an atheist who wants to mock and ridicule and condemn and criticize the faith of the parents of the students in his in his community. First of all, saying your God is an a-hole and you should look for a better one. That's number one. And number two, suggesting that if you don't put that poison dart into your kid's arm, despite astronomical impossible, statistically impossible increases in heart disease, myocarditis, pericarditis, blood clots and strokes in young, healthy people, young, healthy kids. If you don't jam that poison dart in there, your God is an a-hole and you should look for a better one. The man appears in his Facebook post on this matter that I just read to you, wearing a mask that says, if you're not vaccinated, F off, except he didn't just use the F, he used the three letters that commonly follow it. That's his mask. If you're not vaccinated, blank off. This guy, I don't know if he's going to win, but he is running and is an active campaign, because I found it on Facebook, an active campaign for Bowling Green School Board. Somebody who says that you are harming your child and putting their short-term and long-term health at risk, if you don't give them a shot, that is proving to be a direct risk to their short- and long-term health. Now, Biden wants to jam these in the arms of everybody. How soon before he says nobody comes to school unless they get this jab? How soon before the, the man who mandated shots in the arms of all federal workers and federal contracted workers and all military and all medical personnel mandated them, jab or no job, is now telling everybody, here comes the next booster, get ready. And now you've got school board members essentially on his side. What do you think this school board member would would actually do outside of the boundaries of the, the, the poison dart issue? You think this person is reasonable when it comes to CRT? You think this person is reasonable when it comes to transing and pronouns and gender identity? You think this person has the interest of the kids at heart? Or is this a radical leftist extremist, probable Marxist, looking to advance the agenda of the rest of the government-run schools? Do you understand how this stuff just kind of circles? The agenda feeds itself. It's all extraordinary left-wing extremism. And yet, what do they do? They call us extremists. The projection is always their number one tool. Call them that which we ourselves are becoming or what we are committed to doing. Accuse them of doing what we are doing, but in reverse. Put them on the defensive and then watch us work. That's exactly what they're doing. So couple of quick responses from you that would be great. Number one, you can listen to Joe Biden. Do you know anybody who's going to get a coronavirus booster this fall? What if they make it mandatory to go into schools? What if they add it to the schedule of vaccines? Then in addition to your MMR and your rubella and your polio and all the other vaccines that you get before you go into school, you better have this vaccine or you're not going to be allowed into school. Your kids won't be allowed into school. Will you do it? Will you do it? 216-9010945-888-281-1110. 888-281-1110. Your thoughts are welcome on Always Right Radio. Okay, it's eleven twenty-five. Always Right Radio, AM fourteen twenty. The answer you want to get in, we'll do it. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Charlie is in Brownhill. Hi, Charlie. Go ahead.
8: Good morning. Thank you for taking the call.
3: My pleasure. What's up?
8: Uh, a caller, a couple of things. A caller earlier, earlier we talked about eliminating compulsory education. I don't think that's the answer, but compulsory private school with the tax money going to the schools would go a long way. I have a pet peeve about government employees being in, in unions. They get their money by negotiating against the taxpayer, and there's, nobody cares about that money. It's not like it's somebody's money. Everybody's money is nobody's money. And that's a big problem, and that's why I think, you know, the schools have become so liberal, they're out of control. So if we just eliminate the public school unions, I mean, the public employee unions, we'd go a long way. And I'm about tomorrow night, Vivek uh, Rabaswamy is talking about eliminating 50% of federal employees, and I think that is music to a lot of conservatives' ears. Just wondering what you think about Vivek
3: okay uh i appreciate that thanks for the call charlie i'll be very interested to see uh i did see um a story about an hour ago that uh they have set up the stage they have confirmed first of all who's going to be there unfortunately larry elder did not qualify for the debate i would love to see him on that stage uh neither did um uh our guest uh who did we talk to the other day uh Perry Johnson, thank you. Perry Johnson did not make it, and Will Hurd did not make it. And I think one oh oh yeah, Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami, they did not qualify. The others were all going to be on stage. And they did announce that Vivek and uh, Ron DeSantis will be the two individuals center stage because they expect to get the most attention. They are the two leading uh, candidates behind Trump. And so um, I like a lot of what I hear from Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, but I think a lot of Vivek Ramaswamy's Rise in the polls is is completely dishonest. And what do I mean by that? I mean Vivek Ramaswamy is the only candidate that Donald Trump will not criticize. You notice that? Donald Trump has made his entire campaign about demonizing and destroying Ron DeSantis. He can't go to. Hours without tweeting or saying something about DeSantis, DeSanctis, DeSantimonious, and all the other crap that he does. And he has not made one negative remark about Vivek Ramaswamy. And likewise, Vivek Ramaswamy has not criticized Donald Trump. Not once. I believe they're running together. I believe Vivek Ramaswamy is the wingman. I believe he is providing cover for Trump. That's why they won't criticize one another. It's, he's rising up and taking a lot of DeSantis's voters away from him. That's why uh, Trump uh, uh, is doing what he is doing. If DeSantis is the only real threat that he faces, if there is a threat at all, uh, that's the way you take him out with somebody like Vivek. And then Vivek Ramaswamy gets Trump's endorsement in 2028. I believe they are running together, and i got a big problem with that. I think it's dishonest. I mean, if you think about it, Vivek has criticized Ron DeSantis like crazy. Um, Donald Trump has criticized Ron DeSantis. But they will not criticize each other. They've criticized all of the other candidates at some point in time or another, but they will not criticize each, each other. I think it's a tag team effort, and I think it's dishonest, and i got a problem with it. And I hope somebody calls it out on the debate stage tomorrow. But beyond that, I like a lot of what Vivek Ramaswamy has to say. Not all of it. But a lot of it. I think he's got a real problem on the Israel question. I think he's got a real problem on uh, uh, a couple of other things we'll talk about after the bottom of the hour news. Uh, but I like him. I like him. I would, be, I would be fine supporting him and championing him if he's our nominee, just like I would Ron DeSantis, just like I would any of them on that stage, uh, or even not on that stage, over any one of the Democrats who would be propped up there as the Democrat candidate. All right, uh, it's 11.30. We'll take our news break here. We'll come back. 216 901 888-281-1110. you got questions, we've got answers on Always Right Radio.
0: Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer.
3: Okay, it's 11.33. So um, I looked something up. After a question that I got from uh, from Seth Williams, who's running our show today and will be uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, Secondary schools for girls means all girls high schools across the United States are grappling with a difficult and increasingly common question. What is the best approach when a student or applicant no longer identifies as female or is going through a gender transition? In other words, what happens when an all-girls school has a girl in it who says, by the way, I'm, I'm now a guy? Do they affirm the gender identity and say welcome, or do they boot the person? Which one do they do? If they accept the identity, they have to say, you're now a male, you're now, or I'm sorry, and they boot the person. Beg your pardon. What are the choices here? If they affirm the identity and say, yeah, we agree with you, you're a guy, now you're out of here because we're an all-girls school, or they deny the uh, the identity and say, nope, you're still a girl to us, you get to stay. <laughs> we were talking about this off the air. In fact, Seth, I'll ask you about it. You're a proud graduate of an all-male uh, high school, right?
9: Uh, yes, I am. Okay.
3: Well, you're a graduate. Are you proud I, I'm a graduate. Okay. I made sure
9: the <laughs> diploma was signed when I walked across the state.
3: <laughs> um, so, Seth, you went to St. Saint, Saint Ignatius, and, I, and I'll say, because somebody brought this up before, talking about the trans question um, of, uh, in the schools, uh, you know, they said, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but, but said, we're going to put our, you know, kids in the, in, into the, perhaps the Catholic schools, the private schools, and I thought to myself, that may not be any better. The four largest all-male and all-female schools in greater Cleveland have all gone extraordinarily woke. I'm talking about St. Ignatius, St. Ed's, Magnificat, and St. Joseph Academy. Those are the two male and then the two all female schools, the largest ones in, in Greater Cleveland, and they are all extraordinarily woke. Um, and, and, and this is by firsthand experience in some cases where I know others, people have experienced it firsthand themselves and have conveyed to me what their kids have gone through. Uh, it's a, it's a brutal thing. I mean, no better than the, than the government schools in terms of the agenda of DEI, of transing pronoun usage, the whole ball of wax, right? Uh, so Seth, you asked me a question, uh, which is why I looked this up. What do you think would happen at your alma mater? What well, do you think would happen if 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 a if a male at Saint Ignatius came up and said, you know what, call me uh, they or them, or call me he, she or her? I am transitioning. I I really truly believe that my identity is female. What does Saint Ignatius do? Do you think?
9: Uh, Thirty years ago, when I was there, I would have said that it would have been over. They would have been out of the school. But I I know what you're talking about as far as they they're not the same school as when I was there. Yeah. Um, so today, I think they have to. I think they got to keep them. And I, get, I think they're going to accommodate. I mean, that's so. Then they would essentially
3: be opening the doors to females.
9: Absolutely, but I so, think so, so
3: tradition, that, so. the long-standing tradition of being an all males uh, college prepar- preparatory academy would be gone. Females should be able to apply to say, if they accept the notion that quote trans women are real women, that means males who think they're women are women. And they allow that person to transition and accept that premise. They are now saying we're opening the doors to women and St. Ignatius' history is over.
9: I I don't think that it's going to last much longer anyways. I I think that's going to be in the the future. But, yeah, I I totally think they would have to accommodate. That's what everybody's doing now, Bob. You know that. I mean, everybody's accommodating everybody. I I don't see how they get away with it without being sued to the point that they wouldn't be able to keep their doors open.
3: So if Magnificat had a female student, an actual biological female who said I'm transitioning like so many, I mean and that by the way is the highest population of transitioners is is teenage girls tra- transitioning to teenage boys, much more than the reverse. But if uh, they had a, a student who said I'm a male now, call me Joe, not uh not uh, Jessica and uh I'm going to start, you know, wearing my hair like a guy and I'm going to start dressing like a guy and I'm going to start uh, you know, ask you to be called he him. What do they do? Do they accept it? Do they say, okay, and thus open the doors of Magnificat to males going forward? Or only trans males? And if they do, isn't that discriminatory? If they only open the door to trans males and not born males? That's the question.
9: Yeah, I don't think you get out of this now. I think you have to start accommodating everybody at this point. I, I don't know how you get out of it.
3: You know, part of me wants this to happen. So do I. Me too. Part part of me wants to see chaos. Chaos reigns supreme. I want girls at St. Ed's or boys who say they're girls at St. Ed's. I want them in the hallways and then I want some girl, an actual biological girl, to apply for the freshman class at St. Ed's next year. And I want them to say, no, we're an all-male preparatory academy. And then, then I want her to say and her parents or her attorney to say, really, you've got trans girls in there? Are trans women real women? And if so, then you allow real women, let me in or we'll sue your collective aces. Uh, That's what I want. I want that to happen at Ed's, at Ignatius, at St. Joe's, and at Magnificat. Because you know what, Seth? If there's any stopping this runaway train of woke crap and this gender identity and this grooming of children into this alternative LGBTQ lifestyle, if there's any way to slam the brakes on this train, I think that would be it. I think if the historic schools that have been single sex for so many decades had to give that up, they would lead the pushback and saying no, no more. And we, we have, we have. We have refined our messaging. We do not believe that trans women are real women. We sympathize with them. We support them, but they can't come here because they're not real women. Or they can't come here because they're not real men, biological males only. That would be the start of the pushback that I think could galvanize um, you know, a, a movement, I guess, to try to stop this nonsense in its tracks.
9: I, I, I want to agree with you, but at the same time, I know the teachings over there already aren't the same as they were... Yeah, you know, when I was there. I know they're that not, but they haven't sac- the same. I know that,
3: but they have not sac- they have not yet been forced to sacrifice their status as an all-male school. Yeah, I think I, that, you know. that, that, that tradition in history is extremely important. I remember people that don't know my, my history, my daughter went to Magnificat for a year and a half, uh, and, um, it was a very eye opening experience. The wokeness that she encountered there, it was just unbelievable, which is why she left and came, uh, and, and, graduated from a school that is not woke, a Catholic school that is not woke, which is my alma mater, a Catholic. I'm very, very proud to say. Um, but anyway, um, I, 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 I really think, and I remember from when she was there, their, their explanation, it's like in their mission about the all female environment being so incredibly integral in, in, uh, you know, educating and raising and forming and developing the future, you know, female leaders of, of this country. It's very important to them that they maintain their single sex identity. And even though they're woke, if somebody challenged that, that they can't be single sex anymore, that they have to open their doors to both sexes and become and become co-educational schools Seth I think that's when even in their wokeness they're like okay now we got to do something uh, it, it's going too far now. We can't sacrifice our single-sex, you know, uh, mentality.
9: I, I would like to think that you're right. I'm, I'm rooting for that to happen. But I mean, you look at a Walsh Jesuit who didn't—they went co-ed, and I, I think that this is going to be the future. Unfortunately, but did the, see? See, I don't know the story behind Walsh. But that was a I, while ago. so I don't know if it was, you know, based. And on it was Woke. a It wasn't
3: based on you know the the the, the transing situation. No, right? no They not just at all. decided to open their doors. I, I mean, I don't know the situation. I know there are some single sex schools that are smaller that maybe just want to start expanding their you know their uh customer base if you will in other words you know they get tuition uh, to to get people in the doors and if there weren't enough boys coming in then maybe they had to open up the doors to to girls so that they can just start you know making more money um i don't know that for a fact obviously but 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 this would be this will be the tipping point i looked it up seth when you asked me that a couple of breaks ago and the story that i found the first story that i found is actually from 2018 and the answer is we don't know Uh, (laughs) Quote, the challenge, experts say, is to create policies that support and respect students while preserving the historic mission of these schools to educate and empower young women in exclusively female environments. And that is so big. I'm telling you, it's in the mission statements and the credo and so forth. This is, this is what these single sex schools are all about. We will not allow anybody on the other side because there is a a specific defined type of education that girls can get when they are surrounded only by other girls. And if boys are involved, that changes all of that. I, I really think that's a, that's a, that's a Rubicon, if you will. We'll find out if it gets crossed if this ever happens when somebody decides they're going to trans up in one of the all boy and all girl schools in Greater Cleveland.
9: It's going to happen. There's no doubt it's going to happen. So it's just a matter of time. But I, I'm rooting for the best here. I hope they they stay the way they are. You know what I'm really hoping for? <laughs> I'm hoping
3: for just a test subject. I'm hoping for somebody just to just 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 I mean you know, you can't expect anybody to do it, but somebody who's not actually, but just to 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 try to do it to see what happens. I want I want a male in in one of those schools to say, look, I'm identifying as female. Start calling me, you know, uh, start calling me uh, uh, Suzanne instead of Steve, and uh, call me by female pronouns. Don't even start dressing like one or anything else. Just be the test subject. See what they tell you. See